from the elections in Israel to holy sexuality. We've got you covered today. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Uh, some refer to Bibi Netanyahu as Melech Israel, King of Israel. Historic fifth term, he will now have led Israel longer than any prime minister in Israel's history and overcame a whole lot of odds and obstacles to get reelected. But I want you to understand how this works, what happened, what could be good, what could be bad. And then at the bottom of the hour, I'm going to bring on Dr. Richard Land. He's one of the leading Christian thinkers in the world today, PhD from Oxford, president of Southern Evangelical Seminary. We're going to be doing an event together this Saturday we want to tell you about, but we'll be joined by Dr. Land. For now, though, if you have a question about the elections, if you're wondering what this means, trying to sort it out prophetically, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. This is Michael Brown, and you have tuned in to The Line of Fire. Now, just so you understand this, elections in Israel are not like elections in America. In fact, they're probably not like elections anywhere in the whole world. I wrote an article up on our website, up on the stream, five things that you need to know about the elections in Israel. Just trying to sort some things out for you. But if you're in America, all right, if you're in America, you want Donald Trump to be president, you want Barack Obama to be president, whoever the candidate is, you vote for that candidate, right? Now, maybe they, one's Republicans, the other Democrat, maybe they become president, but Congress ends up largely going the other way. So you, you can have, say, a Democrat president and a heavenly Republican Congress. And then you can have you know, governors and mayors and be all over the place. That's not how it works in Israel. You vote for a party, not for a person. You vote for a party. So, yes, Netanyahu is the head of Likud, and he is the face of Likud. And if you're voting for Likud, his party, you are voting for him. But understand this, you cannot elect him. You vote for his party. You say, well, how many different parties are there in Israel? Are you ready? This election, there were 40. I've talked about this last few days as well, but want to go over it now. 40, as in four, zero, 40 different parties vying for Knesset seats. There are 120 seats in the Israeli Knesset parliament. To have a government, you need to have 61. You say, okay, so Likud has to get 61. Likud's not going to get 61. Nobody's going to get 61. In fact, it ended up basically with a dead heat between Likud and the centrist left, not radical left, centrist left, blue and white party. All right? So you have these two parties. They each basically got 35 seats in the Knesset. That's, that's the votes they got. You say, well, then why is Netanyahu saying he won? And why is everyone celebrating his victory? 
And why does everyone realize he won? Because you form a coalition. You reach out to other parties. Now, 40 different parties ran, but only as, as of now, 11 got enough votes to get Knesset seats. Your minimum threshold is, is, is 0.325% uh, of the vote. And if you get that, then you get four seats. So you don't get one seat, you get four seats. That's the minimum threshold. So there were expected to be 14 parties that won seats. As of now, last I saw, 11 have. But the two top ones, basically, each got the same amount. However, the right-wing coalition amounts to 65 total seats, and therefore it can easily have enough to govern. So this is how it happened. Enough people voted for Likud and enough other votes for right-wing parties that that then enabled Netanyahu to say, I can form a government. Now, it hasn't been officially formed, but it looks natural that it will be formed. Now, big, big, big development. Big development. <clears throat> After the two top parties, the next ones were religious Jewish parties. And, and labor, which has been the historic party to the left that's often governed, that went way, way down. Took a massive hit. Either they're going to recover and come back or it's going to be a thing of the past and there'll be another party that basically takes their place. And, and the, the scene in Israel is such that that can easily happen. Now, here's the negative, okay? And, and, and honestly, I didn't know who I wanted to see in. Yeah, I, I've liked Netanyahu. His relationship with Trump has been special. There have been a lot of very positive things he's done. He's been, he's been strong for Israel's security. Not perfect, but strong. He, he has built, built relationships with other nations, working with Israel that haven't worked with him before. That's all very positive, and I appreciate that. Here's the negative. It's impossible for him to be in power right now, to form a government without the two ultra-Orthodox religious parties, Shas and United Torah Judaism. They each got eight votes. This is their highest vote total. And it reflects the fact that you have about a million ultra-Orthodox Jews in Israel, maybe one-sixth of the population. So what has happened now is, in order to form the government, each party says, well, I want this, I want this, I want this. What do these parties want? They want special privileges for their community. And in our mind, this is the right thing to do. What should the religious Jewish community be doing every day? Well, they should be living their lives, fearing God, keeping the commandments, raising families to fear God, keep the commandments. And the men, as much as possible, should be studying Torah and rabbinic literature, studying Torah, Torah, Talmud, praying day and night. Now, do they push hard? Yes. Do they study and push sacrificially? Yes. In their mind, this is sustaining Israel. In their mind, this is, is sacred service. In their mind, this is the the highest calling, and it's for Israel's good. Well, who's going to underwrite it? Who's going to support it? Well, Israeli taxpayers. Well, at least they'll fight in the army. No, they won't fight in the army. Very few will. Why? One reason is it's a very secular, worldly environment, and it's very polluting and would pull them away from Torah and commandments. And the other is it takes them away from studying day and night. So there's a lot of resentment towards the ultra-Orthodox by the other Israelis because it's their tax dollars that help support them. Problem number one. Problem number two is they're going to say, we want oversight over religion in, America, in Israel, 
and we want oversight over immigration and things like that, meaning that they're going to do their best to keep Messianic Jews out because they don't look at us as legitimate Jews and see us as a threat to the system. Also meaning that if you get married in Israel, it has to be an Orthodox marriage. Many Israelis go to Cyprus and nearby country to get married there because they don't want to be married under Orthodox auspices because they're not religious. Uh, dietary laws, uh, 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 making sure hotels and things are observing them. That's some of the control they exercise. They will continue to exercise it, but probably even more because now together they have 16 votes. That's a negative. And then the question of what will actually happen with the Palestinian situation? Do I think there is a viable two-state solution? I don't think so. I, I, I question it. Carolyn Glick in her book on the one state solution lays out very, very strong reasons why it could never work and it's not going to work. So what's the solution? I don't know. But if Prime Minister Netanyahu does what he said, just completely annexing Judea Samaria called the West Bank, basically saying, okay, this is under sovereign Israeli control in a more hands-on way now, and we're going to expand our settlements, then what would be the best case scenario? The best case scenario is one that many Palestinians are not willing to accept. Accept one state of Israel and be active partners in that state. Accept one state of Israel where you're equal citizens like the, the million and a half Palestinian slash Arab Israeli citizens now living in the rest of Israel. Uh, be equal citizens. In fact, maybe uh, improve everything. Improve your lifestyle. Improve your benefits. Let there be real equality. Let that be the situation. That would be a great thing for Palestinians, except many would say, no, 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 we, we want our own place. We have a sense of history. We want our own homeland. Even if, yes, historically, there's been no such thing as a Palestinian state. So those are some of the issues. Akai, let's, let's take a look at the way the Knesset breakdown is, the, the seats and, and how these actually work out. So looking at a graph here in front of me, and as of, that was as of this morning with 97% reporting. So both the Blue and White Party and Likud, 35 seats. And then as I said, Shas, by the way, Shas is, is an acronym for Talmud. Shas Sidrei HaTalmud, the six orders of the Talmud or of the Mishnah. But Shas, Orthodox Jewish Party, that is Sephardic. And then United Torah Judaism, Orthodox Torah Party, that, that would be Ashkenazi. So they then head things up. When you look at the graph, you, you then see the divisions after that are all small. Someone's got six seats, four seats, etc. So the coalition is then formed to, to get halfway that the Likud party then works with these others and forms a coalition. Um, <clears throat> let, let me just throw one other thing out for you, all right? In terms of concerns about fairness to the Palestinians, their biggest issue has been corrupt leadership. Their biggest issue has been radical Islamic leadership. Their biggest issue is people using them as pawns in a battle against Israel. Their biggest issue is those telling them we're going to drive Israel into the sea and then you can have your land back. Rather than saying, okay, there are a lot of people here. Let's find a way to live together. Let's remember in 1937, 1937, the Peel Commission made a proposal to, to let there be a two-state solution. So a homeland for those, the Arabs that had been living there, some for centuries, some in more recent years, 
as, as Jews came into the land in the late 1800s and began to develop it early 1900s, as the land became more prosperous, land value went up, there were more jobs, more Arabs moved in as well. But the great majority of those living in Israel today were, that identify as Palestinians have not been there for 1,500 years or something like that. They've come some in recent centuries. Uh, some have been there for longer periods of time. There, there's even speculation that many were originally Jews who were then forced to convert under Islam, and, and that's how they became then quote, Palestinian Muslims. But 1937, the Peel Commission said, all right, this will be Jewish territory, and it was very small. It was very small. And the rest will be our community. And the Arab leader said, no. In 1947, the United Nations partition plan, now more land for the Jews, less for the Arabs. Arab leadership said no. They've hurt their people continually. That's my concern that that will happen to this day. We'll be right back. Give us strength to always do what's right. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Already tonight, I began holding talks with the leaders of the right-wing parties. Almost all of them already declared publicly that they will recommend me to put together the next government on behalf of our state. I intend to finish the job as fast as possible in order to build a strong, national, stable government. Yeah, words from Prime Minister Netanyahu. Now, remember, there are corruption charges hanging over his head that allegedly he made deals with media and different things to get good coverage, and he benefited in certain ways, etc. Will there be an attempt to bring him down now that he will easily form a coalition to govern and lead? Will he be able to just shake it off, say more accusations? Will this be like the Russia trial and the Russia collusion charges against Donald Trump? Remains to be seen. Here's what's interesting, though. You've got a lot of interesting parallels. How many times has Donald Trump been married? Three. Yeah. How many times has Prime Minister Netanyahu been married? Three. Yeah. Did you know that? Uh, all the scandals, Donald Trump did this and porn star that, you know, years back, uh, Netanyahu was caught in adultery and made public confession over that. And then alleged corruption charges and different things hanging over them. And they're both strong security leaders and, and putting that first for the nation. Just very interesting parallels. But against all odds, this much you can say about Netanyahu, he is the preeminent politician. I don't mean that negatively or positively. He is the preeminent politician and he knows how to win. He really does and really fought hard. And do I believe he cares much about his nation and the well-being of his people? Yes. But look, like everything else, it's a, it is a world system and therefore it's not going to be perfect. So I want to explain this again so you understand this. Secular Israelis are secular that your average Israeli is not religious, okay? Sabbath for your average Israeli is a day off. It's not a holy day. You go to Tel Aviv, you'll see a city that parties. You'll see a city that's as worldly as any other city. 
you'll see a city that has been rated far higher than others as the number one gay-friendly city in the world. One of my friends, well, let's see, I'm 64, so he's 54, uh, good shape. He works out in a local gym there. He, he said, half joking, half, half serious, he said, I think I'm the only straight guy in the gym because everybody else was so openly gay. I, I just saw an article about the rise of, of porn in Israel, and, and, and the, the great bulk of it is gay porn. If you're in the military, if you're a woman in the military, you get free abortions while you're there. I mean, what, two free abortions technically, but it'd be more if you were serving there longer. Israel's secular. Now, it has, in many cases, extraordinary values, and things are very important to it. If, if there's an issue of Israelis abusing Palestinians, there could be a national outcry over it. There was an instance of, of a young Israeli soldier, and there was a wounded Palestinian laying on the ground. And did he think the Palestinian was trying to make a move or grab a gun or something? Well, he shot, he shot him and killed him in, in cold blood, ultimately. And, and there was a national outrage over it, and, and he was tried and convicted. Now, it's overall a light sentence because of the, the stress of military and all the other issues going on and the very real terror threats that exist and the split second in which this thing happened. But nonetheless... In many ways, Israelis have extraordinarily high values and, and really do care about justice and, and do not like religious oppression. But they're very second. Now, they'll be much more open to Messianic Jews and stand with Messianic Jews. Like, why, why are you being mistreated? You're good citizens. You're, you're, your kids serve in the army. You're nice people. Why should you be mistreated? And, and they have certain hostility towards the ultra-Orthodox. The ultra-Orthodox, on the other hand, their strengths, I mean, they, they are God-fearing people. And, and they really believe that God made a covenant with Israel. And it's very important for them to abide by that covenant. And very important for them to, to observe the Sabbath, observe the dietary laws, and observe the laws of justice that God preserved. And, 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 and to live lives that they believe are pleasing to God. So they think the way Israel lives as a nation is abhorrent and ugly and sinful in God's sight. At the same time, the nature of traditional Judaism, you're going to have hypocrisy like you can have with any religion. But then to the extent that they want to say this is the way Israel has to be, for example, in Jerusalem, you go to Jerusalem and Sabbath is Sabbath. Well, like it or not, things are shut down. You go to other parts of Israel, it's different. All right. But you're in Jerusalem, it's, it's Sabbath because of the high percentage of, of ultra-Orthodox Jews there. And as I said, they will be hostile to Messianic Jews. Now, I want you to understand this. In Israel, you're a Jewish believer in Jesus. You could get on a street corner and preach you can preach Yeshua. You can preach the gospel. You can quote scripture. If you have a Messianic congregation, you can say, hey, we're having a concert. We want to invite you to come. Or we, you know, we think you really enjoy being in our community. Now, you cannot invite someone 16 or under, right? That's, that's considered illegal religious proselytizing. So if you're talking to a 15-year-old and he says, well, yeah, I'm 15. And okay, listen, ask your parents if you can come to our congregation. You, you cannot invite them directly. Now, a kid could talk to a kid. You know, two 13-year-olds could talk to each other. But there are certain restrictions. But I want you to understand, there's a lot of freedom. Yes, there is persecution from some ultra-Orthodox. Yes, at times it's been physical, and at times it's been ugly. Yes, a, a guy brought false charges against me when I was sharing the gospel in Israel last May, and I got arrested. But as you know the story, the, the, when I finally got to be interviewed by the police, guy's like, you didn't do anything. He said to me, you want a lawyer? I said, do I need a lawyer? He goes, no, you didn't do anything. And uh, I said, do I get paperwork? He goes, no, I'm not taking fingerprints, nothing. Just go. Everything's, you know, just, he had no problem 
In fact, he said, I have no problem with missionaries. I like missionaries. So, you know, even though that can be a dirty word in Israel because of the way it's construed. So there are downsides to the secular because the secular are secular and are worldly. And in some cases, you have people more into new age cures and, and alien spirituality or communing with aliens from out of space than, than, than people turning to the Torah. That's on the one hand, but then they would be much more accommodating to our religious freedoms. They would want Israel as a whole to be able to make more choices. They would want other branches of Judaism to be officially recognized because the only thing that's officially recognized is, is orthodoxy in terms of being able to perform marriages or determine what's kosher and not kosher. Other forms of Judaism, the more liberal forms, don't have that, the, that authority or standing. So the secular Jews much more open to hear the gospel. But then with these very real ethical failings, you know, immorality and sin and selfishness and greed, and just like you have in the rest of the human race, there you go. There's the, there's the revelation for you. Jews are human beings like everybody else. All right. Good points, bad points. And then among the religious, you'll find some of the most sincere people you've ever met. You'll find some of the most devoted people you've ever met. You'll find very kind-hearted people. You'll find people raising large families sacrificially and, and, and just loving to pray and loving to study. And you'll find hypocrisy and religious domineering and control. And that's the difficult dynamic. Now, the head of the Blue and White Party, Benny Gantz, was a retired or is a retired I believe, lieutenant general in the IDF. And there's great respect for the IDF in Israel, for the Israeli Defense Force. But no one knew exactly how he would govern. He was not an Ariel Sharon, not known as kind of a, a bulldog. It was not known that way, but no one knew exactly how he would govern. So you could say, hey, the centrist left party made some real good gains and maintains, but that, that's, that's also part of it. But ultimately, somewhat of, of a shift right the way things play out. Now, what we don't know is what the Trump peace plan is going to look like. I was just asked about it by some visiting students earlier. And my view would be a Jared Kushner plan would be too idealistic. What my, my opinion, okay, just my outside opinion would be too idealistic and not based on a realistic assessment of what would be best for Israel because of too much trust being put in others. That, that would be my concern. On the flip side, what I've seen consistently with Donald Trump is when he makes a serious misstep, when he says something or someone on his team says something that's really contrary to the principles on which he was elected, he, he quickly fixes it. Either he just backs away from it quietly or he publicly will will distance himself from it. So my hope is there are enough people who have Israel's best interest in mind. His ambassador, David Friedman, is clear-headed on these issues. That if there was a proposed peace plan that was going in the wrong direction, that it would get intercepted first or when announced there'd be enough pushback to work against it. Now, <clears throat> last thing. Why are Jews so influential worldwide? Small percent of the world population, so influential. And, and I'm going to be interviewing a, a scholar, Catholic scholar later this week, and hopefully we'll air the interview soon after that. Uh, but he 
believes that Jews are responsible for much of the problems in the world today, and, and a Jewish revolutionary spirit is, is totally destructive in the world. And he could point to not just the Karl Marxists, but, but many others. And I, in turn, could point to all of the Jews who have had an incredibly positive, life-giving influence, because of which we're healthier as a human race, because of which we're living longer, uh, and, and in many ways because of which we have a better ethic. President John Adams in 1809 basically said, you, you cannot overestimate the positive contribution to society that the Hebrews have made, the Jewish people have made. My understanding is God put a certain calling on the Jewish people to be world changers. When we get it right, we have an incredible impact for good. When we get it wrong, we have an incredible impact for bad. That's just my understanding that we're like everybody else, but just somehow called with greater influence for good. Okay, bad. All right, we'll be right back with Dr. Richard Lamb. We're going to change subjects. You don't want to miss this next conversation. Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. What, what is God's design for human sexuality? What is God's design for male and female? What does the culture have right? What does the culture have wrong? What about the sexual revolution and its aftermath today? There's an important event taking place in Charlotte this Saturday. I want to talk to you about that. And the man who'll be hosting that event, Dr. Richard Land, joining me momentarily, president of Southern Evangelical Seminary, PhD, Oxford University, one of the leading Christian thinkers on the planet. Just want to mention this one thing to you. I know many of you want to stand with us. We are listener and viewer supported. If you're watching on YouTube now, you'll see right on the screen, right beneath where it says Ask Dr. Brown, you'll see a dollar sign. This is with YouTube. You can just click on that and make a donation of any kind. It's that simple. And you're helping us do what we're doing as we speak, as you watch, as you listen. So stand with us. Click on that dollar icon. Every gift of any size is greatly appreciated. If you have a question or comment, post it. It'll get to our attention as well. Without further ado, Dr. Richard Land. Dr. Land, always a joy to speak with you. How are things in your world these days? Great. Busy, but great. Um, you know, uh, if idle hands are the devil's workshop, then I should be in good shape. Uh-huh. And, and what about a, a, a recent a campus move? What's going on with Southern Evangelical Seminary? Well, we, we've, we're delighted. We've been able to move our campus to a more central location. It's a, it's a much more 21st century campus. In fact, I am, in, we're in Ballantyne here in the Charlotte area. One of my younger staff members, when we walked into the new building, um, they said, you know, Dr. Land, our old campus was beautiful, but it was so 20th century. <laughs> <laughs> How antiquated. And, and I felt old. <laughs> you know, I, I, I remember. This is, uh, the, I think the term that was being used is Googleplexy. This is very Googleplexy. Wow. But, but without lots, of, the... lots of glass, lots of chrome, lots of open space. Okay. Excellent. The students Excellent. love it. The students are really excited about it. Well, yeah, I've been at the old campus many a time. Can't wait to be at the new campus. Uh, Dr. Dr. Land, has society completely lost its mind in terms of sexuality, gender today? 
large segments of it have. Um, there's no question about that. It's it's really it, look. It's the ultimate rebellion against God. I will decide what my sex is going to be. You know, the Bible tells us God made us male and female. Um, but they say, they're saying no. I made myself. I'm going to decide for myself. I'm going to be an autonomous person. I'm going to decide what my sexuality is going to be. Um, and, you know, it, this has sparked off quite a debate, as you know, among the homosexuals and the lesbians who are saying, who have been saying, no, you can't change who you are. I mean, we had the, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, who's running for president, who said, who, who upbraided Mike Pence and said, you know, if you don't like who I am sexually, blame God, not me. It's God. He didn't. Yep. No, he didn't. And uh, according to the transgender folks, um, you can make yourself whatever you want to be. Um, I, my daughter gave me a joke the other day that I'm going to use, and it, it goes like this. I'm fat, but I want to be slim, so I'm trans-slender. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to buy only small clothes because I'm, I'm, I identify as trans-slender. Yeah, in, in, in fact, uh, Dr. Land, Pierce Morgan said that he's going to identify as trans-slender, and, and he, got, he got slammed for it. And, and look, here's the thing. We know there are people who really struggle. And, and who would wish yes, them? No, uh, uh, who would wish this on themselves? I, I, absolutely, I know. I know you and I both know people who struggle with this. Um, and and you know, I look. I had a well, in one of my interim pastors. I had a woman who 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 became a Christian, had a profound personal experience with the Lord. She was a lesbian. She was in a committed lesbian relationship, and she wanted to stay in the relationship, but have it not be sexual anymore. Yeah. And her partner would not agree to this and, and left. And she said to me, she said, Dr. Lynn, I've given up the love of my life for Jesus. What have you given up? And I said, well, God hasn't asked me to give something like that up yet. And, and it was, you know, she really felt that way, that this was the love of her life. But she knew that this was not God's will. Homosexual behavior is not God's will. Right, and and, and ultimately... You know, when, when people struggle with gender identity, with same-sex attraction, my heart goes out to them. I've never had to struggle with those things. I've, I've done my best to sit and listen and try to take things in from their perspective to feel some of the weight and the pain of this. Our issue is when you're now going to come with an aggressive agenda and take someone's struggle and make it normative and now turn the world upside down so that, that, that we need tampons in men's bathrooms because men menstruate and men can get pregnant and, and biological males can play on female sports teams and things like that. Even Martina Navratilova said that that's not right. That's not fair. Our issue is with a social agenda, not with someone's personal struggles. And, and we're not out to police the way someone lives privately either. That's not our issue. It, it's the well, social... and it's, look, let's, let's, let's face it. What we're talking about here is giving civilization a lobotomy yes because it you know if if nothing is normal everything is normal everything is normal uh, we you know it's, it, it, it's the ultimate reduction of what uh daniel moynihan called you know you reduce down deviance you you make deviant normal and we're reducing down deviance to where Everything is normal, and nothing is deviant. And that is a recipe for utter catastrophe for a society. Right. When you take away the most basic differences, 
look, there are even transgender activists who say that my biology is what I identify as. It used to be, no, my gender is. Now, if I'm yeah, a biological these male... People, these are people who claim... These are people who claim to be scientific. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, gen- gender is a social construct. Um, your biology is either male or female, and that happens at conception. Yes. And what they're saying now is not only can you change your birth certificate, but your your biology is whatever you identify it to be. So, so look, there was a guy recently... And, and, and there are hundreds of thousands of people who identify as part animal and part human. They genuinely believe that. And, and he, he, he identifies as a puppy dog. He eats uh, for many years out of a, a dog food bowl. He eats dog biscuits. He barks at people. He said he never felt at home as a human. Okay. I guess that's, so, I guess that's species dysphoria. Exactly. Right, right. There, there, is, <laughs> there, is, there is species dysphoria. There, there are people that are called therian or other kin. There was a documentary I watched about them. They claim that there are hundreds of thousands of them in the world today. They have gatherings and things. Now, now look, obviously something's wrong somewhere. There, there is something missing. But they said, yeah, we identified, you know, we, we were outcasts. We, we, now we found ourselves. Now we're happy, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you, you, have, you have people with body identity integrity disorder, and they literally feel they shouldn't have a right arm or a left leg, and, and they, they, they amputate it, and now they feel happy. Okay, something's wrong. Our hearts go out to them. Something's wrong, but we do not now say, okay, if you identify as a dog, you're a dog. You identify as a parrot, you're a parrot. You, we recognize something's wrong, but we've gone, Dr. Land, from it used to be relative morality. You know, uh, you think this is good. I think this is good. Now we're going to relative truth, right? You have your truth. I have my truth. And now we have relative reality, don't we? And now we have no truth. Yeah. You know, so I, that you, you know this is my truth. Well, there's not my truth and your truth. Uh, there's not a version of the truth. Truth is truth. Um, and as John Adams once said, facts are stubborn things. Mm. Yeah, the old Moynihan quote, as you mentioned them earlier, you know, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, not their own facts. That's right. right. What's happening Saturday? How can people get involved? Well, we're having a seminar um, at our campus uh, on Lancaster Highway here in, in the Ballantyne area of Charlotte, and it starts at, uh, at 1, uh, 1, 1.30. Uh, are we erasing human sexuality? And uh, you're going to be speaking twice, once on the war on gender and once on homosexuality in the church. Uh, I'm going to be speaking on what I believe is the mega-ethical issue of our age, who and what is a human being. Mm. Uh, it, it it certainly impinges on this issue. It impinges on the whole issue of uh, robotics and artificial intelligence. Um, um, who and what is a human being? Well, God made us. God gets to decide who and what a human being is. And then we have a, a very inspiring testimony from Cameron Hodge. Um, a, a young as a young child and in her young adult years, she struggled with suicide, depression, and the effects of sexual violation. And she came to know the Lord Jesus as her Savior. And uh, she had struggled with same-sex attraction, but she's found freedom from that, and she's going to provide some hope and some answers. And then Adam Tucker is going to be speaking on, are we erasing human sexuality? And um, we, you can come and attend. Um, you can find out how to register by going to ses.edu and register online. Um, you can use the get, ticket, get Tickets link at ses.edu, or you can pay in person. And if you can't come... It's going to be uh, streamed. Uh, it's going to be live streamed 
on the SES YouTube channel. And you can find out about that by going to SES.edu as well. And, and not only so, uh, I'm going to be teaching a class over the summer that deals with these exact issues. There'll be other classes relating to it. So folks can find out about that. And I believe there's a dinner, Dr. Land, for prospective students who want to find out there more are, about there SES. Is. If, you're, if you're interested in, in becoming a student, we have a dinner um, uh, that's going to be uh, at the uh, at the end from 6.15 to 7.45, a prospective student dinner. Um, and we would love to have that's free for folks who are uh, wanting to talk about uh, studying at SES. And um, we, um, uh, you are teaching that class. We're very grateful for, to you for doing that. I'm also teaching a class yep. uh, the first full week in May on Christian ethics. And, we, and, of course, this is a huge part of this issue. And people can take the class for credit, or they can, for $150, they can audit the class. The whole class. Which means they get all the lectures. Wow. They read all the books. They don't have to do any of the homework. Whoa, that's that's a deal. I mean, that's what that's like five nights and a whole. I mean, that's a that's a very full class that we're doing. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Wonderful. And, and friends, it's my honor to serve as an adjunct at Southern Evangelical Seminary. Uh, you know, folks like Dr. Frank Turek. He's a grad from there. Fine school. You want to find out about philosophy, creation, dealing with Islam, ethics, the the whole way of, of, of fitting these things together with strong biblical theology one of the premier apologetic schools on the planet, ses.edu, and the event this Saturday. And and we just got 20 seconds, but what degrees do you offer at SES? We offer bachelor's, master's, MDiv, DMIN, and PhD, and we are cheap. For a, for a master's class, it's $770 for a class, not an hour, but for a class. Wow. All right, friends, check it out, Dr. Land. Thanks for joining us. A joy to have you and cannot wait to see you on Saturday. God bless you. Looking forward to it, my dear brother. All right, scs.edu. Go there. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us. 866-34-TRUTH. If you have a question, you may take a call or two. Uh, if you are uh, watching on YouTube, we've often answered questions on Facebook, Twitter, but I want to respond to a few on YouTube. RS1, thanks for your contribution. Remember... If you just click on the dollar sign, you're able to make a donation to help us through YouTube to get the message out, to keep doing what we're doing. Jennifer asked, what's, what's my opinion on transgender? Oh, okay, so a broad question. Obviously, I don't believe that God designs someone to be tormented by the body that they're in. In other words, his, his goal and desire is for that person to be at home in their body. There are people who are intersex. They are biologically or chromosomally not fitting in normally to male or female distinctions. They may be biologically male, but there's a chromosomal issue and they start to develop in a female way. There may be ambiguous or dual genitalia. So we look at that just like someone that has a problem with eyesight or hearing or in other words, it's a handicap. It's a problem, and we want to help them with compassion, 
and then help them try to work out ultimately, are they male, are they female, because of the ambiguities. The vast majority of those who identify as transgender do not have a biological or chromosomal issue. The vast, the vast majority are clearly biologically male or female, but internally don't feel whole in that. It could start when they're children. It could happen because of social pressure later on. There could be other things that influence it. Yes, there could be spiritual influences with anything. There could be spiritual influences, etc. So the goal is to help the person be at home in the body that God gave them. And there are plenty of people who are former transgender. I know for many, this is deep, agonizing. I've tried to picture how it feels, but I can't because I've never dealt. I'm just being totally honest. I've tried. I've, I've, I've wrestled. I've, I've said, God, give me sensitivity, but I, I can't say I can fully relate, obviously, because I've never struggled with that, with, with not being at home as a, as a male. But I know from those who were transgender that they'll all say that there was something else going on or when God got to the root of it or where God helped them or through counseling or whatever else took place, that they've been able to resolve those tensions and now feel very much at home in the body that God gave them. So I have compassion for the people, but I stand wholeheartedly against the agenda. All right. Uh, here's a question. Uh, what do I think of the prayer movement in Kansas City? So I hop and uh, yeah, just coincidentally, we got a bunch of IHOP students. So not coincidentally, probably a question from one, but uh, visiting today. So uh, thumbs up is there, there by watching. Okay. Uh, I am thrilled with 24 hours of prayer and worship that's been taking place in Kansas City for many years that has as its goal, exalting Jesus, that has as its goal, intimacy with Jesus, and has as its goal, creating an atmosphere of worship and interceding for America, the nations, Israel, and seeing the gospel go to the ends of the earth. I think it's wonderful. And, and like anything else, when you do it that long, you can get into a habit and a form. So the key is uh, to, to be passionate. The key is to really meet with the Lord. The key is not just to put in time. Okay. We spend X number of hours in the, in the prayer room and it just becomes kind of a rote thing that's done, but that can happen with any of us doing something on a regular basis, but I'm thrilled with the prayer emphasis. Um, sevens pattern. Have I ever heard of the sevens pattern? Don't know what is meant by the sevens pattern, but no, don't, uh, don't know about that. Now, one other, one other issue, one other issue that comes up when we're dealing with transgender things is hormonal issues. And it could well be, that because of diet, because of various things that are now part of our lives, that it's messed some with some people's hormones. It could be. And they struggle even more because of that. But, but look, there are scientists who believe they've discovered what's called the obesity gene. And if you have this gene, you have a greater possibility, greater propensity to be heavy. All right. Do we therefore have fat pride parades? Do we celebrate being overweight or do we recognize that being overweight is unhealthy, that obesity kills people worldwide more than any other disease? In other words, it's going to contribute to heart disease. It's going to contribute to other things and be the root cause of many diseases. Do we recognize that it's in and of itself bad 
And if we had an obesity gene, now we work all the, the harder to be healthy as opposed to celebrate being obese, right? In the same way, children of alcoholics have a, a much, much higher uh, percentage of, of being alcoholics themselves. How much of it is genetic? How much of it is environmental? Either way, <laughs> the goal is to work with them all the more to help them overcome this rather than to celebrate alcoholism. So the issue is not being born a certain way or having a certain tendency. The issue is ultimately, what does God say? What's best? What is right? Um, why do we have to translate the glory of God for the Shekhinah when this reflects feminine gender? Uh, Shekhinah is feminine noun. That's true. Some would argue that it reflects the motherly aspects of God or the feminine aspects of God. Because remember, even though he's identified in Scripture as he, the word says that he, <laughs> excuse me, created us male and female. Male and female. And therefore, male and female best reflect the fullness of God's image. So why cert certain some of his aspects have a feminine quality? Like he identifies as a mother, he identifies as a father. You know, he cares as a mother, he cares as a father. He has certain sensitivities that would be more uh, in tune with women. He has certain sensitivities more in turn with men, more in tune with men, because he is the fullness of deity and we are created in his image. Now, that being said, when we speak of the glory of God, the word for glory is kavod, which is masculine. So God's glory is, is neither masculine nor feminine. And look, in, in Hebrew, every here, I'm holding up a pen. In Hebrew, pen is masculine, all right? Okay, uh, 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 you know, telephone, masculine, it does, it, table, shulchan, masculine. It, it doesn't mean that, that there is a masculine or feminine quality in everything. It just means you have to put it down as either masculine or feminine. Uh, <clears throat> let me say this, though, friends. The world around us, please give me your best year. The world around us is upside down. The world around us in many ways has gone crazy. The world around us has lost its bearings. The world around us is deeply confused. And we are God's answer. We are the moral and cultural answer. The gospel is the answer. I am not being trite when I say that Jesus is the answer, meaning in him, there is a solution to every human problem in him. By the way, only in him will there be ultimate lasting peace in the Middle East. I, I, I want to see Israel's well-being. I want to see Israel protected. If you missed the first half of the broadcast, we, we, we explain what's happened in the Israeli elections and the significance and the, the good and the bad. All right. But, but here's the thing. In Jesus is the solution for fear, for addiction. In Jesus is the solution for broken relationships and broken lives. In Jesus is the solution for marriage, for family, for economy, for every issue we deal with. Colossians 2 tells us that in him is, is hidden all the wisdom and knowledge of God. So I'm not talking about just believe in Jesus, just believe in Jesus, just believe in Jesus. No, no, I'm saying that in him, 
We have all the wisdom. In him, we have all the knowledge. In him, we have everything needed for life and godliness. And we have his word, which is the ultimate source and fount of wisdom and knowledge and understanding and how to live and what matters most and principles on which we base our lives. Jesus himself is the light of the world. Does he not say that in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. But does he not say to us in Matthew 5, 16, you are the light of the world. So in him, we are the light of the world. That's why in my role on the radio here and on our live streams on video, I introduce myself to you as your voice of moral cultural and spiritual revolution and your voice of moral sanity and spiritual clarity in the midst of a society and chaos in a world all too often in compromise. What's the point? The point is the world is turned upside down, topsy-turvy. It thinks good is bad and bad is good. Oh, not a hundred percent of the time, but so much of the time. This is, this is what happens. There is a celebrating of evil and a denigrating of what is right and good. So my role as a public voice is to be a voice of moral sanity and spiritual clarity. But that's just me in this public capacity. That's what we all are doing in the home, in the workplace, in education, in media, in the sports world, wherever God has us. We are lights. We are helping a darkened and confused world see clearly. And that's why we're all so hated, because we're shining like lights in dark places. And the darkness hates the light. But as John 1.5 tells us, the darkness cannot conquer. 